0: You know, I, I don't think a patient is, is a problem to be solved. I think we have to see the patient as a mystery and we have to have curiosity. So if the arts and humanities just bring us back to that point of being curious, what more can I know? What, what don't I know? Where is my knowledge coming from that I'm making these assumptions? It rattles things a bit, but it, it, it makes things strange and it makes us see them new. And I think that's one definition of renewal.
1: Welcome to Specialty Scoop. This podcast is brought to you by the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada. I'm your host, Dr. Guylaine Lefebvre. Thanks for tuning in. Specialty Scoop is a place to uncover what's top of mind for our community in specialty medicine, from learning to validating what may be new for some of us. Today's topic is possibly more relevant than ever. The past few years have been tough. Many physicians and surgeons are lost emotionally. We've talked of moral injury through the COVID pandemic. Let's hear today how narrative-based medicine and health humanities are options and extraordinary tools to regain perspective and purpose. It's a privilege for me to introduce an expert on this topic and today's guest, Dr. Alan Peterkin. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: Dr. Peterkin was a guest on a recent conversations with Jillian Horton. So although we only met once I have some insight into the many contributions that he's made to the LGBTQ2S health, medical humanities, and so much more. Check out the discussion on the Royal College's YouTube channel, The Conversation with Jillian. We'll pop the link in this episode's description. We also graduated uh, the same year, 1985. I was in Ottawa, you were at McGill. Dr. Peterkin is a clinician, educator, advocate, and an author. He's a full professor of psychiatry and family medicine at the University of Toronto, where he leads the program in Health, Arts and Humanities. Before we get started, I want to acknowledge the privilege we have for living on this land. I'm joining this recording from Ottawa, Ontario, which is located on the unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe Nation. We're headed right now into the holiday season as we record this, and it's, it's a time where everything seems enhanced. People who are happy have a chance to rejoice. People who are alone, often at this time of year, feel even more alone. I've learned from Elder Albert Dumont that the Anishinaabe people were welcoming to people who were passing through, embracing them as their own. In honor of our indigenous custodians of this land, let's encourage each other to find space in our heart and homes for those who have less. Dr. Peterkin, where are you joining us from today?
0: I'm joining you from uh, downtown Toronto, University of Toronto. Uh, I wish to acknowledge this land on which the University of Toronto operates for thousands of years. It has been the traditional land of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and the Mississaugas of the Credit. Today, this meeting place is still home to many Indigenous people from across Turtle Island, and we are grateful to have the opportunity to work on this land. You know, every time I, I give a land acknowledgement, I it feels a bit incomplete to me and i always wonder what is the next step what is action for us as you know citizens community members advocates allies i think that's something for us all to to reflect on where does the story go next
1: thank you i i completely agree and i think as much as land acknowledgments are about reconciliation for me it's also about Learning and having the humility to say the custodians of this land had a lot of fabulous learning and traditions that we can aim to to incorporate. Let's dive right into narrative medicine and health humanities. Could you could you help us define what they are and how they're linked?
0: Sure. So maybe we'll we'll start with the definition of the health humanities. Uh, the definition I like is that it's a sustained interdisciplinary inquiry. Into aspects of medical practice, education and research, expressly concerned with the human side of medicine. So that's the part to hang on to the human side of medicine. And what it is, it's a very much a cross-clinical discipline, interprofessional, multidisciplinary, deepening, sort of deep dive discussion about healthcare, human suffering and resilience. And it involves scholars from the humanities. That includes you know, philosophers, ethicists, historians. Uh, we involve artists and literary scholars as well. And I call them the medicine watchers because they kind of feed back to us what we're doing right but also what we're missing, particularly around power dynamics.
1: The concept here of the human side of medicine really speaks to me at this time in particular, right, where we've moved to electronic medical records and so much seems to be more about the technology and the artificial intelligence we may be bringing in. When you talk about human suffering and the human side, we're really in that, as I understand it, encompassing both the patient and the physician or the health worker.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we're both human beings sharing space in the same room. And maybe this is a good place to sort of talk about narrative-based medicine, because, you know, as human beings, we're wired for story. This is how we connect with one another. And this is how we make meaning. And I think in some ways, you know, medicine has grown anti-narrative. You know, you talk about the EMR, And people spend more times clicking on a computer than talking to their their patients. I always say that diagnosis is an anti-narrative act because (laughs) it's taking a whole story and condensing it down to a few words. And we need those words to act upon them. But the whole idea is that narrative medicine is very much about honoring the stories of our patients. And that means building them over time, uh, listening to them. You know, receiving a story rather than just taking a history, because a history is about what is pathognomonic and universal to an illness. The story is unique to that patient. I remember when I was doing family medicine, the patient said to me, you know, I'm sure you've seen dozens of cases of congestive heart failure, Dr. Peterkin, but I only have one heart. And that just stuck with me, right? The idea that every illness narrative is unique and we have to listen for it. Uh, we have to be receptive, and and you know we know that the average doctor interrupts the patient within twelve to eighteen seconds. So how do you receive a story? And that's the emphasis of narrative based medicine. And we talk about something called narrative competence, which is the ability to really work with those stories.
1: Thank you. This is really helpful to put in perspective. How did we get from here to there? I stories is likely how we started. Uh, stories before we could write, obviously, and stories in medicine to get eventually to a diagnosis. Can you tell us about the history of of medical humanities movement? And and also as part of that, how did you become so dedicated and passionate about this field?
0: Sure, great questions. You know, the medical humanities, uh, that's what it was called originally, and we now call it health humanities to be more inclusive, because Part of that ongoing inquiry and discussion I was talking about is with our colleagues from all clinical uh, disciplines. You know, I talked about humanities scholars, but, you know, the field is open to nursing, physio, OT, pharmacy, et cetera, et cetera, uh, because they all have a different view on, on what it is that we do collectively. And it's, it's so important to listen to all those voices. You know, that's what we talk about when we talk about uh, collaboration. So the the field has been going on for some time in the U.S. and the U.K. I can say that in Canada, we're the newer kids on the block, because even 10 years ago, only two or three medical schools in Canada uh, had any kind of humanities offerings, formal or informal. We did a scoping review, some colleagues and I, in 2019, and I'm happy to report that every medical school in Canada now has Mm -hmm. Uh, mandatory teaching, but also elective teaching. So the field has really grown. The American Association of Medical Colleges in 2020 did a scoping review, and they made a very strong point that we have to incorporate the humanities into medical education at all levels. It can't be seen as as an an add-on, that it's a critical lens on medical culture. And it's something that we very much need.
1: How did you get to be so passionate about health humanities and narratives?
0: Well, I had a mother who was a writer and a father who was a family doctor. <laughs> so I grew up in a household that that valued the arts, valued music, valued literature. And uh, when I hit med school, I vowed that that reading and writing were going to be at the center of my medical wheel, w- whatever I did, and that. That uh, led me to to asking for the first writing elective in my med school and the first writing elective to write a book in residency. You know, I think of myself as a writer as and a doctor. I, you know, I've written books for kids, I've written cultural histories as well as medical textbooks. That reading and writing have just been so key to who I am. Yeah, I think it's it's partly been what's given me meaning and pushed me deeper in my work as a doctor.
1: How narrative based medicine and health humanities may have helped some of our, our trainees, our students. This has been a very difficult time, obviously, for, for medical students and residents.
2: Hi, so I'm Charlotte Axelrod. I'm a medical student in my fourth year at the University of Toronto. Before starting medical school, I had obtained a degree in narrative medicine from Columbia University in their master's program. And even though I didn't know what I would be using narrative medicine for exactly when I started the program, now looking back on my four years in medical school, I'm really grateful that I had that experience to ground my training. I think that for me, in a clinical context, narrative medicine has increased my capacity for attention and for reflection. The times that I've spent analyzing even just a single piece of text in a narrative medicine seminar has helped me to, you know, draw inferences and engage with nuance when meeting people, colleagues, patients, whomever it may be. I also think that as a learner in particular, narrative medicine has helped me get comfortable with ambiguity and being wrong. It's inevitable as a clerk at to have a fear of being wrong, it's also inevitable to be wrong. And then I will separately add that during the pandemic, while not narrative medicine in practice so much, but in a way it's applied narrative medicine, I spent a lot of time just reading stories and consuming art and literature and media because I was away from the clinical environment. And that really helped me to stay grounded in my studies of medicine at that time during the pandemic. Um, And it helped me to connect with the purpose of what I was doing because after so many hours of sitting on your computer in your bedroom, it's sometimes easy to forget that you're in medical school for a reason. So I'm very grateful for Narrative Medicine for all of those things.
3: Hi, my name is Matthew Cho. I use he and pronouns, and I'm a second year medical student at the University of Toronto. In terms of uh, how the humanities has impacted me as a medical student, uh, for one, I have a background in the health humanities before medical school. It's actually one of the reasons why I decided to pursue medical school in the first place. And from my experience, both in medicine as well as medical school, understandably so, focuses heavily on the biomedical. But as this podcast shows, there's much more to medicine than the biomedical, from its intersections with ethics and philosophy to politics, social justice, Um all of which were constantly at the forefront during the pandemic for me as a learner. And uh, through disciplines such as learning about history or reading stories, seeing paintings, I was able to learn from a diversity of perspectives that offer insight to other people's experiences with their health that I could never ever come to alone. These insights constantly motivate me to critically reflect and in turn define what it means to be a good doctor. I think another way that the Health Humanities has impacted me as a learner is that it's helped me connect to community of like-minded people through the Health Humanities student group at University of Toronto called ArtBeat. I have learned so much from my peers and have the chance to work with them in an effort to bring the Health Humanities to students who may not be as familiar with the subject. As a learner, it's always a personal journey to find your place in medicine. And honestly, it's something that I'm still working on currently. But having people around me who share my interests and push me to actually pursue them has helped me feel much less like an imposter and that I belong in medicine.
1: Life has changed in so many ways since uh, March of 2020. I think we have to be careful, obviously, with with so much Unwellness uh, in healthcare today uh, for patients difficult to access for physicians nurses and other allied health providers likely an unprecedented time where wellness is being challenged for many of us. Has your approach to this field changed since the onset of the pandemic? Can we can we reconcile the need for us to find wellness again and yet not being overly critical in terms of humanities?
0: Yeah, I mean, the role of the humanities is for us to be more reflective and to be, you know, to provide better care to our patients. Uh, so the critical lens is part of it, but I think basically uh, it's about deepening our capacity to to reflect. You know, when, when I talk about what the humanities bring, they're physicianly qualities. They're not hard skills, but you know, we foster critical thinking. So where does knowledge come from? Uh, reflective capacity. Narrative competence, as I said, the ability to, to receive stories, to work with them, to co-construct them over time, to listen to them. Uh, we teach visual literacy at University of Toronto, which is, you know, we take students and residents to the art gallery to teach them how to look and see. Because, you know, part of this technological world means we might not be looking at the patient and their body language and their silences and so forth. And then we think that this all uh, turns to, to self-care and, and resilience. And I think, you know, with the pandemic, well, you know, there's that big Medscape study that said that 50% of physicians were burnt out in 2019 before the pandemic hit. So you can imagine where it's brought, well, you know very well where it's brought us since. And I have colleagues who are retiring. I have colleagues who are saying, you know, I feel so guilty. I just don't care as much. And, um, you know, that, that speaks to burnout. However, I think many of us turn to story during the pandemic. You know, we turned to reading fiction, we turned to poetry, we watched endless movies on Netflix. <laughs> you know, the idea that that stories provide, you know, a bit of escape. They get us out of our small lives, but then into the the great life, the deeper life of, of all of us, and that's their universality. you know, I think we learn from stories, uh, we we experience catharsis from stories, you know, they they nurture us in in so many ways. They stretch our worldview, they challenge our moral imagination, and there's some pretty good studies showing that that reading literary fiction actually uh, improves empathy of the reader, and that's not medical readers, that's any reader who engages with the text, and that they also... Uh, improve something called theory of mind, which is the ability to infer other people's feelings, desires, thoughts. So again, back to these very human skills and, and what story brings us. But I think they bring us comfort. They can challenge us, they can distress us at times, but they also bring us comfort and suggest this this line of continuity.
1: Being part of that same humanity with our patients and listening to our patients' stories and seeking them out but at the same time paying attention to our own stories and, and getting outside of our bubble, right? Um, we know that care for oneself equals better care for our patients. We uh, recently recorded a podcast with Dr. Mumta Gautam on the five C's of resilience. I, I'm hearing from you that medical humanities basically, or health humanities, uh, for all of us who, who look after healthcare, contribute to our own self-care.
0: I think so. I think they give us new lenses to see our work, uh, to see our work differently, to see our work the way other people see it, and then to find our way back in. Having given so many narrative medicine workshops, I've observed that many of the people who come to us uh, are burned out and they want to find a way back into their work, back into that dedication, back to the things they wrote in that letter to get into med school. I think if you can find a new way to listen and be present, the other part of narrative medicine is to be an embodied, mindful presence with your patients. That's something that we emphasize very strongly, that that you start to see the work differently. You know, I, I don't think a patient is, is a problem to be solved. I think we have to see the patient as a mystery, and we have to have curiosity. So if the arts and humanities just bring us back to that point of being curious. What more can I know? What, what don't I know? Where is my knowledge coming from that I'm making these assumptions? It rattles things a bit, but it, it, it makes things strange and it makes us see them new. And I think that's one definition of renewal.
1: That makes a lot of sense, and the mindful presence with patients doesn't necessarily mean that your appointment will take longer. <laughs> For all of our listeners who feel that their time is stretched as it is to meet their patient load, there's an ability to actually embody this in your practice and still meet the needs of better meet the needs of your patients at the end of the day.
0: For sure, I, I just gave a, a lecture last week uh, about. Uh, strategies for practicing narrative-based medicine because, of course, busy family docs say to me, I'm just terrified of opening that can of worms. And, you know, these are good concerns. It's a 15-minute appointment. I think what you want to convey is I want to learn your story over time. Let's see how far we get today, and I guarantee we'll pick up the thread the next time. So the idea, it suggests a continuity of care the building of an alliance over time. This story takes time to be told and to evolve and to be transformed. So, you know, it, it's about sort of your the message that you give. I want to know what's important to you. Uh, I'll be asking all these medical questions, but I also want to find out, you know, what matters to you.
1: Outside family medicine, I must say, I think for all the specialties that would be important. Um The link between reflection, renewal, recharging, again, getting back to the fact that that's what we're really looking for right now. Is there a link between those three terms and what what both narrative medicine and health humanities may bring to us?
0: Sure. Well, I mean, we can say that reflection is uh, the the act of looking back on an event or practice or how we've applied knowledge uh, in a particular situation. And, and so that means looking at our thoughts and feelings and actions at that time. And then we can learn from them. We can step back. We can ask ourselves, what went right in this story? <laughs> what what didn't go right? Uh, what would I do differently next time? And and how can I kind of get back on track? And the idea that the more you reflect on past actions, and, and you know, what we find with, with doctors doing um, these workshops is, you know, often patient uh, doctors will write, and other clinicians will write about stories that are unmetabolized, a story that was a mistake or a regret, and the idea of writing that down, looking at it, you know, the way we build narrative competence is close reading of literary texts. And we talked about empathy earlier, but then reflective writing. So you go back to a story, and you commit it to paper. You represent it. You look at it. You can share it with a colleague. You can edit it. But you're you're gathering meaning and new knowledge. And the more you you do reflection on past action, the better you become at doing what we call reflection in action, so that while you're doing things, you're checking in with yourself as well as the patient. You're, You're being mindful. You know, why am I angry with this patient today, et cetera. So that's reflection reflexivity, I think, is, is super interesting. It's, it's sort of another dimension because it's, it comes, you know, in part from anthropology. And, you know, when they do their field work, it, the question is, you know, how do we know what we know? Where are we getting our knowledge and information? And the way I talk to students about reflexivity is that it, it asks three questions. So who am I? Which means as a unique person uh, with disappointments and privileges and values biases, blind spots, you know, so who am I as an individual, where am I, which means where do I find myself, you know, on this land, in this community, in the midst of a pandemic, and then what am I? So what means that that speaks to questions of professionalism. So what does it mean to be a physician in 2020, almost 2023, (laughs) you know, in this time, what does it mean to be a physician and how do we define professional values and and how do we how do we apply them uh, i think when we ask those questions we're we're always remaining accountable and curious and we are keeping advocacy at the top of our list mm-hmm. um you know what am i and where am i speaks to service right you know we need to repeatedly check in with ourselves about about those questions and that can be part of renewal yeah what am i what am i doing nowadays
1: and being kind to ourselves not doing this with criticism on top of mind but rather observing and learning And just being patient with the fact that all of us will hopefully continuously improve with that mindset.
0: Yeah. And, you know, what I find so interesting, it is what we emphasize is asking yourself those questions with compassion. What I love to hear is that, you know, you and I, again, would have been trained when, you know, shaming and humiliation were a big part of our education. That's being deconstructed in medical education. That's being strongly critiqued. In part, the humanities have done that you know, this kind of abuse of power. And that's been a very welcome, a welcome change is that, you know, you learn through kindness and example, not through, you know, an external critic or a harsh inner critic.
1: I've heard you talk about the uh, the arc of physician wellness. What does physician happiness look like?
0: Yeah, well, you know, so when I was a resident, uh, all those years ago, I I wrote a book called Staying Human During Residency Training, because, you know, a lot of us had been experiencing a pretty rough time in residency, Uh, you know, the labor laws weren't there, and so and so. And back then, what I discovered is that it was all about impairment. So, you know, in 1989, say, it was about physician impairment only in the literature, and that meant that, the you know, the horse was already out of the stable. Right. So then we started talking a little bit about what wellness would look like. Then we moved into what resilience might look like. And then I uh, started asking, uh, what does physician human physician happiness look like? Uh, what I would say to that is it looks like human happiness. And the two elements of human happiness, and we learned this from positive psychologists are pleasure and purpose so a happy physician is someone who is in touch with what brings them pleasure and what brings them purpose I think for us you know the purpose part can win over uh, you know you're, you graduate as a physician you're told that you're told that you'll be doing this for life you know whereas our colleagues in law and other professions in academia, you know, are checking in with themselves every five years. Do I do I need a new purpose? Do I need to shift gears? Maybe I really want to care for this population because they're underserved. The purpose can can overrun the the, the pleasure, but I think we have to ask what truly brings us pleasure in our lives. And it you know it isn't about how much money you earn. Um, and all the the positive psychology studies show across countries that, you know, you have to have a level of comfort in your in your day-to-day living and housing and, and nutrition. But beyond that, you know, what is it that brings you your pleasure? And so I invite the students, you know, to draw this wheel and to put in it work, play, love, and meaning. And it doesn't mean that each has to be a quarter, right? It's every pie looks different. But what place does work have in my life? Love means all my relationships. The best advice I ever got from a colleague who's no longer with us, Don Ross, a psychiatrist from Halifax, she said that your loved ones always have to tie for first. So you can be an ambitious, careerist, researcher, grant person, but you make sure that your your partner, your kids, your family – and your friends that they always tie for first. I thought that was just great practical advice. So then, you know, play is what what do you like doing? So if you're an elite athlete, the play part of your pie might be huge. And then the last piece is meaning, and that could be your view of spirituality, your religious beliefs, your values. So these things are are in play. And you want to check in that for you, there there's an ideal balance and my pie won't look like yours. But, you know, these are good questions to, to ask. And do I need to make some changes?
1: We could keep talking about this for a while. But as our podcast comes closely to an end, any final thoughts, any any call call to action for listeners, things that they can do perhaps either over the holidays or in the new year?
0: Well, I'm going to read you a quote from Tate Shannafelt, who's a hematologist and the wellness lead at Stanford. And he had given me permission to include this in staying human during residency training. I'm going to just read these 10 little questions for us all to think about moving into 2023. And it's about personal values. So number one, what is my greatest priority in life? Have I been living my life in a way that demonstrates this? Number two, where am I most irreplaceable? At home, at the hospital, elsewhere? Three, do I have adequate balance between my personal and professional lives? Four, am I asking more of my spouse and children than I should? Five, what kind of legacy do I want to leave my children? Six, what person or activity have I been neglecting? Seven, if I could relive the past year, what would I spend more time doing? What would I spend less time doing? And what changes do I need to make this happen this year? Eight, back to purpose. Why did I choose my profession? What do I like most about my job? Nine, what would I like my life to be like in 10 years? And number 10, what do I fear? So I think the, the goodbye message, the farewell message, would be, again, to just check in with your, your own personal values, to always you know, be reflective about what you might be missing in your own blind spots, but defining, redefining purpose and giving room for pleasure. Because I think we're created to be joyful beings and we have to give ourselves permission to, to find our way back to pleasure in our work. And outside our
1: work. Thank you, Dr. Pierkin, for your expertise, of course, but also for your energy and your honest compassion towards, I'll say, humanity, towards making the lives of medical specialists and indeed our patients just better. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into Specialty Scoop. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, give us a rating or write a review. And don't forget to share this episode on social media and with your peers. Write to us at Affairs at royalcollege.ca with suggestions or feedback on this podcast. You can also tune into to the Royal Colleges podcast for medical students called Café des Spécialités and Specialty Café. Wishing our listeners a safe and restorative holiday period. Until next time,
3: I'm Guylaine Lefebvre.